Hello, and welcome back to the Guns on Pegs podcast. Uh, somehow we have arrived at the final episode of Series 4. I'm not quite sure how that's happened. Um, but anyway, how's it going, Chris? Have you recovered from your man flu? Uh, I have, George. Um, just because of the sip of the drink I've poured myself, that's completely wiped it out. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear it in your voice. <laughs> I, honestly, it nearly knocked me for six after my first sip. Anyway, we'll come on to that in a minute. But <laughs> Anyway, yeah, yeah, all good. So we've done another series, Chris. I know it's it's weird, isn't it? I, I kind of feel like because because working life is sort of changed forever, and we're now work like flexibly, sometimes in the office, sometimes home. I still feel like we're sort of on the end of COVID, and COVID I kind of talk about as that thing that just started a little bit ago. You know, it's not fully finished, and we've done four series in that time. It's like the whole thing's a bit. I don't know. I've lost track of time a little bit over the last couple of years. It is all a, a bit surreal, but I mean, this is off. I mean, we've done a couple of mini episodes as well, but this is the 40th sort of proper episode. Well, we're, that must mean we've got a planning session coming up again. <laughs> uh, you've you've read my mind. Not only have we got to plan a new series, which we've already started talking about, of course, because we're very well organised. Have, but... have we? <laughs> I but, don't remember that bit. <laughs> but also, we've got our half century coming up. Oh, I feel like you're teeing us up for a party. I like these conversations. Well, I mean, we've got to think about something, haven't we? I mean, look, let's throw it out to people. I mean, we're obviously doing something at the Game Fair again this year, I think. Um, I haven't decided exactly what, but what what would, what would do people think is a good idea for a 50th episode? That that I like. That's a good shout. But thinking about it and just looking at where we're at at the moment, we're at the end of April. Another 10 episodes with a little bit of a gap in between series. We're basically going to be at the Game Fair. It's going to be about that time, you know. Yeah, well, we better do some. We'd look at some calendars and work something out. But yeah, I definitely like to get some ideas from people. Yeah, good. Um, good. But th- th- let's not get ahead of ourselves. We've <laughs> got to do this series first, and um, yeah. we're finishing off with a big guest for this series, aren't we, Chris? Would you like to tell us who we've got with us? A very well-known guest today. Uh, very well known. So he's well known on both international clay shooting circuit but also the sort of UK game shooting world. Uh, he's, he's regarded actually as one of the best shots in the country. Uh, and he's even managed to gain this status uh, with one eye after having an accident playing football when he was aged 11. So quite unbelievable. He's got 25,000 subscribers to his YouTube channel, where his videos have had over 6.3 million views. Um, he's very much a Yorkshireman, so hopefully he's ready for some jokes with us Southern fairies. Uh, a very warm welcome to Dave Carey. Thank you, boys. Um, it's very, very nice to be with you. Dave, it's great for you to join us. It's, it's really exciting. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Dave. I'd just like to correct you as well, though, Chris, on the uh, when I lost my eye, it wasn't through football. I used to be a footballer, but it was through, uh, I got shot in the eye, actually. Okay, I've, I I literally read that off your website, so I read it completely wrong. Gosh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, was, good, I was a good little footballer at the time, but uh, unfortunately, a, a sniper... Shot with a, a two-two air rifle. What? While we were, while we were playing football on the. Oh, uh, while the you were playing football. Okay, that's why yeah, I misread it. Yeah, while oh, we were actually playing football. My God, that's awful. Well, I mean, it's awful either way, but I mean, even more awful. It, yeah, he whacked, he whacked one or two of us in the up the arse at uh, once or twice. So we all run behind the the sort of dust uh, the dustbin hole, what we call the where they kept the bins. Then we all got hidden behind me, and I poked my head around the corner and. 
and got the bullet in the eyeball. Oh my god! And that's me. how I lost my eye. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, and ne- I ne- nearly died for it as well. Really. Well, I'm not that's surprised. Crikey! I had no. I'm sorry. I had no idea. <laughs> that's traumatic. Surprising how powerful a little even even them days the little break barrel. Yeah. Two yeah. air rifle. Little spring loaded yeah. job. Yeah. yeah, the little spring loaded one. I mean, the, the tremendously powerful things now. Gosh. There's a lesson for everybody listening, though. <laughs> Don't point your gun at people. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, that's that's the that's the main thing to you know when you when you're bringing kids into shooting is uh, you don't. I mean, we were taught never to point a bloody stick at anybody, no matter gun. But obviously, don't point anything at people's faces. Yeah. Well, well, the point the point of me kind of adding it in is it didn't seem to, doesn't seem to have held you back much. <laughs> I mean, that no, no, but I, but I was very late in finding shooting. Of course, I come from a, a very poor mining background, and we, you know we didn't know anything about clay pigeon shooting or game shooting. Um, you know, we were just through the lads, seven, eight year old son's school time finished. We used to be out playing games or bird nesting or whatever. Uh, whatever, whatever took our fancy. Really, we, we, we weren't allowed in the house till till it got dark, sort of thing. Them days, I mean, there were there were no TV, and I'm knocking on a bit now. I'm nearly nearly sixty five now, so uh, you can understand where I'm coming from. <clears throat> the old Alcyon days, uh, when you could wander anywhere you wanted, then only thing you got to worry about then were getting shot by the farmers when you were crawling across the fields. <laughs> <laughs> but Dave, I wanted to ask you, you've, it, it's the end of April now. Um, so we're kind of halfway between two shooting seasons. I, I mean, I know I feel it and I don't actually get to shoot all that much, but do you find that time's starting to drag a little bit as, as the, you know, as we get further and further away from one season and the other one doesn't quite seem to be in sight yet? No, um, I, I, I think as soon as February comes round, it's surprising how how quick the season comes back on. Because I'm 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 speaking to gamekeepers and and shooting lads every week, really, you know. And the and the sort of oh, we're just getting eggs. Uh, we are just cleaning our eggs off now, and and then two or three weeks later, they they're, they're in the hatchery, they hatching chicks off, and before you know it, you're, it's September or or August. Uh, ready for ready for grouse. Unfortunately, this year I don't think there might not be a passage season. I don't, you know, might yeah. be September out. I mean, yeah. Normally we talk about are we going to see many grouse. I mean, this year it's are we going to see many grouse? Are we see many partridges? And has anyone got any pheasants? I mean, it's 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 bleak, uh, yeah, isn't it? I think that yeah, I, it's it's looking a bit grim for uh, on the partridge supply, uh, but there's still time uh, for that to materialise. We've we've got a sort of a month where things can change. Uh, very drastically, as it always does in the shooting season. Yeah, I mean, so our, our newsletter we sent out this week, George and and, and Digby, uh, one of the lads in the office, wrote a really good article giving the facts on the situation because there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of talk about it and quite a few Chinese whispers, um, and and people don't quite know fully what the situation is yet. And as you say, there is still time, but from a partridge point of view, certainly for shoots wanting early September partridge days, uh, it feels like the horse has bolted on that one uh, for the for, for the vast majority. Yeah, I agree with you there, Chris. I think if we're going to be shooting partridge at, at all, it's probably, probably late September time, October time. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's if, obviously, if things 
change quickly and it doesn't look like that's the case either so we've been, we've just sort of been advising people just you, you need to be aware of this chat to shoots because the other thing that is slightly concerning is it doesn't seem like there's there's well it feels like um some of the game farms aren't necessarily being totally honest with shoots as well about what they might actually receive uh so that's causing a lot of miscommunication as well so it's tricky out there. I feel for everyone. Well, we're all caught up in it, but I feel for everyone who's, you know, properly on the line. In in some respects, um, I do feel very sorry for a, a lot of shoots uh, that obviously won't won't get the stock that they require. But where where are we? Why are we why are we in this position? This is the Great Britain is the biggest game shooting arena in the world. Yet we rely on other countries to to breed our game birds. Yeah, it's it's so stupid, and there's something like bird flu happens in France or some country that produces a lot of game birds for our for our own game shooting scenario, and we you know we've cut our own throat. We don't we just do not grow enough birds on to supply ourselves, and it's stupid, really. You know, we've just we've found it out too long, and I think probably this will be a uh, you know. It, it, It'll be a wake-up call, really, you know, for a lot of people to start going back to the old ways and, you know, actually doing some breeding themselves. Yeah, I, de- I definitely think it's a really interesting... I, f- I feel like in any situation like this, we've got to ask ourselves, how can we find a positive out of this situation uh, as in at least an opportunity and a way of turning it around, of doing things different in the future? I think that's always a really healthy conversation to have. And what you were just saying there is is an interesting one. I think... From my little understanding of it, I think the reason that a lot of uh, most of the most of the eggs and stuff come from France is just simply because of the climate and it's just much better rearing conditions. So they get greater returns. And from a business point of view, it's very difficult to make it pay as a game farmer at that level over here. And and that's why it, it's kind of like the sort of champagne argument as well. You know, the climate just doesn't quite lend itself uh, and you just need to be that that much further south. But it, I would have thought the south of England is probably up there with the Loire Valley in France now um, to be able to do that. The red pheasants and parties, uh, the old ways, going back 30 or 40 years ago, bred them for years in, in, in vast numbers. I mean, some of the big old estates, they used to shoot three or 4,000 bird days, the Edwardian days. So we're, you know, the, the, and and these were all bred under uh, under banties, you know, under 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 hens, and and we're talking now, forty forty years later, we can't supply our own uh, our own industry. It's like uh, you know, we're making the rifles and waiting for Russia to supply the bullets. You know, <laughs> well, it, it, well, you know, it's, it's 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 that scenario, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, on that note. <laughs> Right. Well, yes. So, Chris, do you want to start off? What state you're drinking? So, so the drink that cleared my cold in one fell sip is uh, I've I found a gin on the shelves of a a niche retailer nearby, and it's called Son of a Gun. So I oh, thought very, very nice. Yeah, you see what I've done there. The uh, uh, thing is, though, George, when I found it, I didn't spot that it's 47.4%. So I poured myself a nice healthy measure. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it's noticeably stronger than my normal gin and tonic. <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. Um, Dave, you have not got a drink, I think. Well, I've, I've actually got a drink of tea, but obviously you know, you know why I've got a drink of tea, because I'm, I'm on painkillers and they are very powerful painkillers. So 
Uh, I can't. I cannot drink any alcohol whatsoever. But I can tell you a good alcohol tale. Oh yes, please. I, I can remember. Uh, oh, it must be eight, nine years ago now. Me and Christine got invited to with, with the Canadian team to go and shoot at Brigands. And these these chaps are very, very wealthy chaps, billionaires in fact. We we arrive at Betwishall. We've had a lovely meal, and then the drinks come out, and one of the Canadian uh, team. Hank, who was a, uh, an, an oil magnet, he said to me, he said, do you like whiskey, Dave? I said, well, yeah. I mean, I was used to supping a, a bit of Bell's then, which £2.50 a bottle from the local supermarket. <laughs> yeah, I said, yeah, I do, I love it, yeah. And he said, well, try this. He said, yeah, it's out of my wine cellar. There's uh, only uh, eight bottles of these. Anyway, tasted it then, oh, that's nice. He said, it's £10,000 a bottle that day. Jesus Christ. It just, just tasted like bells to me. <laughs> <laughs> not, not what you should say at that point. <laughs> anyway, cut a long story short, these are, these uh, they've all had a good drink of wine and everything. Uh, the, evening, the evening's gone on then and everybody's, everybody's gone to bed sort of thing, apart from me and Christine, we're the last ones up. And I saw this bottle of whiskey. I said, Christine, I said, half a bottle of whiskey there. I said, put that bottle in your bag. I said, we'll put your internet tomorrow. That. I said, 4,000 quid in that bottle. <laughs> did you get it home? <laughs> we did, yeah. You gave it anyway, did Oh, good lad. You've got to have a lot of money to forget your 4,000 quid dregs of, of whiskey in the morning, haven't you? Since I've had me, I had a, I had a stroke three or four years ago, and it's, I think it's affected my taste buds anyway, you know. I used to love fish and chips, but I don't like them now. So. Oh, shocker. <laughs> well, uh, being a bigger proper Yorkshireman, I thought you were going to show us Southern fairies up with like a sort of glass of red diesel or something like that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never been a, I've never been a pub, man. If I, and if, if, if I do have a drink, I mean, I mean to get drunk. You know, when, I, when, we, when we've had a, a hard week's work, you know, we used to have a, a really good drink and, and, you know, do half a bottle of whiskey in. But then days are gone now. I'm talking 20 or 30 years ago when I could drink a little bit. I mean, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? All my kids were brought up like that, you see. They were brought up like wild ponies. Well, we, <laughs> we know because yeah, Rachel we were... used the exact same phrase when she was on the podcast with us. Yeah. <laughs> I drink to get drunk. Yeah, well, well she's, 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 she's telling the truth. I mean, all my kids were, were, were brought up in the in the scrapyard scenario. I mean, we, we lived on the yards. Uh, I mean, I still do live live on one of my yards anyway. You know, we live in comfort, but that's how we've we've been brought up, and that's how we've lived. Um, and all my kids have been brought up to to work, and and they're all good at getting getting their own living. They're, they're very very good at what they do. Uh, it's a shame that kids aren't brought up the same way as I speak. <laughs> George, what's that you're drinking? Well, so. Um... Last episode, I was set a challenge, and uh, the challenge was to bring along a whiskey that wasn't from Scotland. We wanted exotic, so um, I've got a Welsh whiskey. It's uh, Penderyn, uh, a single malt Welsh whiskey, Madeira finish. It's got um, Welsh gold written on the side of the bottle. It's very nice, actually. I mean, it's not got much colour to it at all. Um, but it's absolutely delicious, and it probably tastes a lot like bells. <laughs> Nothing wrong with bells. <laughs> Where do you get that from? Just, just from this, just from the supermarket, Dave. Um, but uh, it's very nice, very nice indeed. So I think I've, you know, I'm, I'm just dipping my toe in the water of uh, exotic whiskeys. <laughs> I've gone from Scotland to Wales, and 
we'll see where we go next. I don't think Wales has ever been referred to as exotic, has it? (laughs) (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Well, look, well done, George, for uh, achieving the challenge. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a cop-out, wasn't it? But um, there wasn't anything on the shelf at Waitrose that really caught my eye from anywhere else. So I think I'm going to... There's a very smart whiskey shop just down the road from here, so I'm going to have to pay a visit for the next series and find something a bit more interesting. Hey, while we've all got a drink glass, even though I might only a cup of tea, can we, can we raise a glass to George Digweed for, for winning his 27th world title in, in America among some of the strongest... Shooter in the world again, at, you know, at his at the senior age that he is now, it's absolutely amazing. Absolutely great shout! I was actually just messaging. Actually, I was just messaging Paul James from Gameball, who obviously you know very well. Uh, he was out there. Uh, hell of an achievement, isn't it? Un, un, absolutely unreal. Uh, he continues to do it. But George is the best shot the, the world will ever see. And I'll, I'll say this sincerely: that nobody will live long enough to achieve what he's achieved. It is genuinely amazing. I feel very privileged. George and I are going for dinner, dinner for two next week, a little restaurant in Tenterden. So, fresh off the back of his win, uh, I'll uh, I'll be I'll be fanboying him and asking him about uh, <laughs> about his performance. Well, yes. So anyway, here's to George. Here's to George. Yeah, here, here, George. Right. So, the next section, Dave, is where we ask our listeners to send in their shooting dilemmas and questions and quandaries and we do our level best to offer some helpful advice our hit rate on that isn't particularly strong but um (laughs) we'll see how we get on with this one um we always make our our correspondence anonymous uh so this is somebody uh i've decided to refer to as bartleby and he's got a question that's sort of suitable for for the time of year he writes I wonder what your thoughts might be on what to wear on a simulated game day. I recently went on a day where there was a person wearing a skeet vest and then others wearing shuffles. There was also a person in breeks and shooting socks. I know that sim days are becoming more and more of a thing outside the shooting season, but there's still a grey area on the etiquette of what to wear. I understand that you need pockets to be able to load, but I wonder what your thoughts are on this. Good question. Short and sweet as well. Yeah, but yeah. but this it actually needs discussing. <laughs> yeah, I think it does. What do you wear on a sim day, D- Dave? What do you wear? Well, I do a lot of sim days, and the, the first thing uh, that I uh, look for is, uh, is is comfort, of course, and but smart, casual wear. Um, obviously, if if you're loading for yourself, then you've you've got to have a ski vest is very uh, applicable, um, but. You could wear a nice dress ski vest. You don't need to wear the, the normal skeetified vest that, that you see on a clay shoot. There's plenty of other nice attire that will look good on the day and, and, and do the job. Mm. It's like nice casual clothing uh, that, that, that looks smart, but is is uh, very applicable for getting your hands in your pocket quickly. Yeah. <laughs> do you wear your breeks? No, never wear my breeks. Just... As I say, very casual clothing. I don't. I, I, we do wear uh, ski vests, but my ski vest uh, on the on the same days are, are very casual, but very smart, uh, like like a, a, a normal tan uh, ski vest. Nothing written on them at all. No badges, no nothing. Just a dressy tight ski vest, and that does suffice if you're loading for yourself. I think you've picked out the most important bit of clothing that needs discussing. You're right because. 
I think a skeet vest with all the logos and everything on it and a big mesh back and all the rest of it. I just feel like it's the wrong look for a... It is. Because the idea of a simulated game day is you're simulating a game day. So it, exactly. one could argue that, well, therefore you should probably rock up in your breeks and your socks and everything. But the idea of doing that in May when it's like 25 degrees or whatever is a very good reason not to. <laughs> I've got a solution for that, though. Oh, go on. Aladdin trousers. <laughs> nice lightweight cotton they look amazing think how good it would be you can have some nice purple ones or something yeah, you want some curly pumps on as well yeah exactly flip flops <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we I don't think we'd be wearing breeks without a, the tradition behind it so I don't think you can just launch us wearing silly clothing without a tradition to hang on to well it's nice it's, it's nice to see breeks on the day and, and a, lot of, a lot of sim days that I go to they're on they're on traditional shooting estates anyway and most of the, uh, you get half a dozen of the teams will be uh, be local um, keepers uh, that's, that's, that's made a team up. And they always come dressed, which is nice to see, dressed in the keeper in silks, all very smart. And um, and the, the, the traditional gun who shoots on the estates, he'll, he, he maybe comes like I've just explained with a, with a, a, you know, a nice dressy ski vest, no badges, no nothing, a, a nice tan. Ski vest, uh, white trousers, bit um, how can I say, um, like a cricket uh, sort of dress wear, really. So a, pa- a pair of chinos or something. Je- je- jeans acceptable? Jeans, I see a lot of jeans on the job, yeah. But you, uh, for me, the top part is the most important part. The the ski vest has got for me. It's got to be a dressy ski vest. Most of the time, you sat down having a meal as well, so it's. Nice to sit down and be a bit dressy at the same time. Yeah. What's your go-to attire, George? What, for for sim days? Yeah. Well, so I've only done a few. One of them, they specified they like to have people in uh, in breeks. So I Goodness. wore breeks. Um, and actually, it was kind of not the warmest of spring days, and I was, you know, perfectly comfortable. Uh, did one a few weeks ago in the Cotswolds. It was quite a sunny day. And I was quite glad that I was in my chinos and just a nice shirt. And then, um, as you know, I've got my silly loader thingy. So uh, pockets full of cartridges aren't, uh, aren't an issue for me. But your silly load thingy doesn't hold enough cartridges uh, well, for I, a sim day. I've learned a lesson, though, which is there's no point in blazing away on a sim day. It's much yes, better to be <laughs> much better to be selective. And uh, so I fired I fired. 30 odd cartridges on each drive and I was very satisfied with that. Dave um, George only George is only selective because that means he only misses 29 whereas you and I might miss 29 <laughs> from like 400 cartridges. So I can miss just as effectively with fewer cartridges as I can with more. <laughs> <laughs> um but I yeah you you kind of need your because because you're always in pairs on sim days really aren't you? You need your yeah. mate standing behind you with a whole slab uh, open just not not just yeah. the boxes, like the actual slab open in his arms. <laughs> well, a, a, a sim day is a great day out because most of the time you, you've you've got your uh, your better half with you as well, and they enjoy the day. They they usually doing doing the loading if the, if the loaders are allowed, and uh, as I say, there's always a sit down meal later on. So smart, casual, but easy accessible pockets for because you've got to get them cartridges in that gun. That's that's what the that's what the key element is, getting the gun stuffed. 
so so what we're saying here, so that the person who's written in, Bartleby, as George has called him, um, he's saying, I see people wearing skeet vests and others wearing shuffles. What we're kind of saying is, skeet vest, try and make it a bit smarter. Shuffle, yeah. first of all, I'd be thinking you're probably going to get a bit warm. Um, yeah. But you can probably do better than that and actually find a, a, a nice, as you say, sort of shooting waistcoat that's not like super heavy uh, that you would wear during the season. Pair of, a shirt and chinos or jeans if you must. And that's sim day attire. Have we summarised it? I think that's very, 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 very smart attire for the day. Just, yeah. yeah, just on the loading point, though, um, you know, there are alternatives. If, if you don't get on with waistcoats or if uh, or skeet vests or um, you're particularly married to your shuffle, you could get one of those little cartridge pouches to wear on your belt or something like that to, for ease of loading as well, couldn't you? Or as Dave does, just take your wife and yeah, take a loader. The trouble is, the wife she won't go with me anymore. I've hit her on the head a couple of times, and she's <laughs> <laughs> in the it's all in the excitement. You do sometimes forget that you've got a load that might have dropped a shell, and they bend down to pick the shell up, and you break the gun, and oops. <laughs> I find uh, with with my gun, I've got really strong ejectors on it, and I, I keep firing empties into the person's face who's loading for Sounds me. Like a side by side, though. It is. It is. It's not the best gun to have a, to have on a sim, Dave. If you put in a lot, you're putting a lot of shells through. No, absolutely. And it's just had its final sim season last year, and I have a new gun coming. Uh, I've got myself a Ritzini coming for this year, which uh, definitely far more appropriate for putting through its paces. Right. So I think against all the odds, we've given out some good advice two episodes in a row, um, which is unheard of. But I mean, the best advice was obviously the Aladdin trousers. Um, <laughs> Chris, have we got an unpopular opinion this week? We do, George. Uh, and it's some. it comes from someone that you have called. Uh, there's no we about these. <laughs> uh, Judas. Uh, I feel like you're sort of labelling him already. Anyway, he says, Dear Guns on Pegs podcast, absolutely love the show. Brownie points, thank you. Uh, I wish to register an unpopular opinion. I caught up on the farm shoot episode the other day and absolutely loved it, apart from one thing that alarmed me. I'm usually a big fan of what's that you're drinking and have to say as a whiskey fan and someone who enjoys a good vintage of some hedgerow liqueur I found in the back of a cupboard, this section of the show usually appeals. I've always found those in the shooting fraternity to have impeccable taste. This was until the last episode. Much to my dismay, in the middle of the winter, George merrily chirped up that he was having a nice real ale straight from the fridge, with no shame whatsoever. Real ale from the fridge, he writes. (laughs) Surely you're risking turning the traditional British staple into the modern craft beer, removing the opportunity for those from overseas to ridicule us for our love of warm beer. Please, George, I appeal to your better nature. Save real ale. Skip the fridge. <laughs> I must agree on that, actually. <laughs> well, I was going to say, Dave, I'm absolutely with you too. I don't, I didn't spot this at the time, and I'm really glad for our listener Judas here for uh, for writing in. Uh, this is George. Defend yourself. Well, I mean, part of me thinks I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to anyway. It it wasn't a proper bitter. It was a golden ale. Um, and it was as close to being a lager as it was possible for an ale to get. So like a southern man's ale. Yeah, you know, proper watery <laughs> stuff. You know, you not like not like proper 
you know, Yorkshire bitter that you can eat with a spoon. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, okay, I'm sorry. But, you know, also not sorry. <laughs> the, last, the last beer I had out of the freezer, it was just some years ago. I don't shut beer anyway, but it was very warm beer and I got to have one. It was that cold, my glass eye froze up in socket. <laughs> <laughs> they're just not it's just not a thing to do drink a frozen cold beer straight out of the fridge you've got to like marinate a little bit in the sun i think i think this is we're, we're the, the world is walking into this problem though because it kind of used to be lager or bitter didn't it and one yeah. was cold one was warm now yeah. we have everything in between and like the scale is so varied you don't know what you're doing with it i, I find nowadays i go up to the bar and i'm like what's that and it will say some words on it. And you think, oh, I know what that will be. You get it. And it's nothing like you were expecting. <laughs> so may, maybe, George, you just didn't know. Maybe it was just an honest mistake. No, it's how I like it. I'll have one to his own, Chris. Right. Okay. So from, from that personal attack, I don't feel particularly inclined to talk about shooting heroes, but a format is a format. So we're going to plough on regardless. <laughs> Have we got a shooting hero, Chris? We do. Um, William has nominated this episode's shooting hero. Uh, and like with all of these, uh, I'm sure his story will sound familiar to many people listening. William says, this is a bit of an unusual shooting hero, possibly an unpopular opinion as well. But my shooting hero is my wife, Sissy. She tolerates my complete obsession with shooting every season. I probably only shoot for up to 10 days a season and then beat on a friend's farm shoot for about seven days. But I will travel any distance for a day out in the field with whoever will have me. And even better if it involves a post-shoot session in the local pub. We have two children. I tried to take at least one of them beating, but Sissy is normally left with the other one at the weekend, if not both. I managed to get the whole family out for about two days a year, and it's great. The rest of the season, Sissy tolerates wet, muddy kit all over the house, being woken up early when I stumble around the bedroom trying to get my twat pants, as she calls them, breaks to you and me, and then then has to deal with bedtime alone with our Tasmanian devils of children. Then there is the hanging of the game on the garden fence for all to see, the freezer full of pheasants, taxidermy around the house, and the late night gun cleaning with a whiskey or two. Overall, she is a complete legend for just putting up with me for the season. She completely supports shooting and understands just why I love it so much, but it's a good job the season isn't any longer. Anyway, I'm pretty sure there are plenty of wags out there that are in the same boat, and I think that the shooting widows of the country need some well-deserved recognition for putting putting up with their shooting-obsessed other halves. If this does make the pod, this should get me some pretty serious brownie points to get me in, through another couple of seasons. <laughs> well, well done, Sissy. Yeah, here. Yes. Well and I'm speaking for another hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say yeah. wives and girlfriends that probably put up with the same. Carry on. But I mean, <laughs> Sissy's getting away lightly. She's not being brained by her husband, which she's outloading for him, as far as we know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. You're trying, to, you're trying to get me into trouble now. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely angling. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, a good nomination, William. We won't do too many of the other halves, will we? But they are very important in this scenario. Yeah, I th- maybe maybe we'd all like to raise another glass to our respective other halves. If you're listening, yes. I think maybe go and give your wife a kiss or your other half and just say, thanks very much and I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's no point sending her a set of garters, is there, George? 
I actually go. They all go out a couple of times a season. I think garters is a good thing. Yeah, the, uh, she might. <laughs> when you send one on 29th of May for Christine, but it's her birthday, and you just send it from me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll sign it, especially from you. I always forget to send something. You see. <laughs> It might just get me out of trouble, that job. <laughs> well, I mean, so this is the thing, Dave. Um, William and Sissy and Judas, not against my better judgment, uh, Bartleby and now you, Dave, as well, are fully signed up members of the most noble order of the garters and will shortly be in receipt of a set of the very exclusive, highly desirable Guns on Pegs Brilliant. podcast shooting sock garters. Um, Dave, I think we might see our way to sending you a second pair for your other half really? if you promise to wear your garters in your first video of next season. That's a deal. Yeah, that's good. So, so, that's a deal. so, so, what what you've actually just agreed to is George is sending Dave's wife's present for her birthday, so Dave doesn't have to, and he'll sign it and everything. <laughs> I'll write a very nice card. I'll do a little little voiceover thanking you very much as well, boys. Good lad. (laughs) So make sure they're good garters. Oh, they are. Oh, they are. They're garish. (laughs) Don't you worry. (laughs) Right. So if you too would like a set of the most desirable garters in shooting, send us your shooting confessions, quandaries or queries, your unpopular opinions or your shooting heroes to pod at gunsonpegs.com. Now, Dave... um, on the topic of shooting heroes, I reckon if we went and surveyed, say, 100 people at the game fair this year and asked them to name their shooting hero, a pretty good proportion of them would name you. Mm, with with that must come a certain amount of responsibility. How do you make sure that you're using your platform, as it were, to set a good example to all the thousands of adoring followers that you've built up over the years? Um, that's very that's very difficult um, because there's always somebody watching for the slightest mistake. Or I mean, we we do we do comb over the films and make sure everything's all the boxes are ticked and everything. I do do a bit of cursing. We do do a bit of cutting and <laughs> half half of the films finish up on the floor. If you know <laughs> yeah, but. Um, um, I think we try to we try to go for quality rather than anything else. Uh, quality shoots, um, and, and people think that I just want to film Ibert shoots. That's not the case. I want to show everything about the the the, 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 the shooting uh, emporium in, in Great Britain, from the small farm shoots, which we we have done in the past, to the very small sixty seventy bird um, DIY shoots. I want to show all those uh, those shoots because it, it, they're all part of the of the um, mishmash of of the shooting world. It's not just about um, you know the big corporate uh, shoots. It's it's about shooting in general. From the sat in a trench with a with a white follow waiting to to shoot a goose or a or a mallard, down to going on a, a little twenty bird shoot, um, open to you know, get a, a couple of snipe or or a, a, a woodcock or a couple of a couple of pheasant. We want to film everything. We, we want we want to show everybody, especially all all around the world, that this is the finest finest game shooting the world has ever seen. Is Great Britain? We've got some of the most beautiful shoots in the world. 
and it's thanks it's thanks to the, the countryman and countrywoman and the shooting fraternity that we've got such a landscape that we've got after three or four hundred years that's been shaped by people like the gamekeeper, the shoot managers, the farmer. It's it's brilliant, and we've we've got to show everything. Do do, do you find that? Um... When you look, because I was looking at some of your videos, obviously I've seen loads of them over the years, but I was sort of just trying to see the sort of variation that you put up. And I, I, we kind of struggle with this as well. People who sort of want to watch the videos and stuff like that are usually wanting often more of the same thing. So do you find that if you're putting out the small little farm days with a little bit less action in that they don't get as many views and therefore you kind of end up feeling like you want to show them more of what the user wants? I don't know. Do, do, do you see that at all? I think there's two sides to the, the following that I've got. I think I've got a following that wants to see, that wants to stand behind my gun and see what I see because they want to they want to sh- actually shoot at the same birds that I'm shooting at. Yeah. And, and obviously they want to learn how to how to, to kill the birds. And uh, and the, you've got the other side then who actually like the, the vista, you know, the actual shoot itself, the panorama, uh, they love to see the, the the part where the dogs are working, the the and, and me interviewing uh, you know people like the uh, the beaters, the pickers up, and 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 not really interested in the shooting, but interested in, in in the film as a whole, showing our our beautiful countryside. So you've got two aspects, and I think uh, probably seventy five percent is is people wanting to get behind my, get back at me and watch what I'm doing with a gun. That is that is probably a big following. Yeah. I mean it's a massive following in America now. I mean I get I get letters and emails from America every single day, you know, inviting me to go over there. Um I've been invited to go over and do a programme over there, but obviously uh, I won't be going there with the with the near as it is at the moment. In fact I've been invited to go to, to New Zealand and do a film there. But Gosh. I don't think I'll I, I might touch wood I might be fit enough to get there at the end of June, I don't know. Uh, but I get invited to go all over the world now. I've I've seen the comments. I've seen the comments underneath your um, underneath your videos. Like there's a lot of pe- a lot of comments from all over the world. People want to see people want to see our beautiful countryside, but also uh, it's not just us. We've got, we've, I mean, there's some fantastic, beautiful places in America. Uh, I, I went to the, um, I did a film in, in Morocco of all yeah, places on the, on the, in the Atl- in the Atlas Mountains, and it was absolutely thrilling just to do two or three drives of of driven uh, Barbary partridge, totally different from our partridge, really thumpy little things, and then to do a wild, two wild, uh, two wild uh, uh, driven. Um, and we, you hadn't really got time to think about anything. You were stood on a precipice sort of thing and there were little darts flying all over the place. And I think people want to see you know, every little every little bit of aspect of the, of the shooting world. And, you know, like uh, I, I did the, uh, me and Rachel did the, the one uh, walk in the fields with the pointers. Mm. I thought that was fantastic. Mm. You know, every, every, little, every little part of shooting, you know, gets gets my my stomach turning, sort of thing, and and I want to I want to I want to see everything. I, I, I'm I'm not frightened. Of, I'm not frightened of being laid on a tarpaulin in the middle of a in the middle of a swamp. Me laid on my back, 
looking at you know trying to shoot a goose i'd do it you know i just want to show everything what turns what makes shooters and what what makes people tick you know in the in the countryside that sounds good uh so so just winding back a bit then because obviously this is kind of all the now i i want to go back to because you said you earlier you started shooting Late, and I think I think you were I think you says on your website you were. 30. I, was, I, was, I was forty. I was nearely forty when I started. I started too late, but I did I did okay in competition. Uh, within two or three years, I was, I was shooting for Great Britain. Uh, so I, 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 I think people have got some sort of natural ability. I think you'll see a lot a lot of top lads. Um, if I can I can pull that into categories, you'll see a lot of top lads. Let's say let's say the twenty top lads in the in the world today. Right, I can say safely say fifteen of those lads have come from money. They left plenty of time, plenty of money, and uh, I've no need to worry about uh, you know, about what they've got to do. They can go out shooting when they want. Same as know. racing drivers, and, and and they've got youth on the side as well. Yeah, it's racing drivers, and you've got that. But you've got that other five out of that twenty, or like Mark Windsor's, Sean Bramley's, Digweeds, and uh, um, John the John Lees, who are just natural. Natural shots, you know, Nick Hendrick, and you know, re- really good shots. Who's, who's, who's brought up on a bit of pigeon shooting? They've got the, they've got the natural ability, you know. And I I found that out myself. So did you know then the first the first time you picked up a gun and went out on a clay shoot? Did you know you were going to be pretty handy at this? Well, I got how I started. It's a funny story, really. I mean, I I, I, I sold her, uh, a chap. I hadn't known him. Known him two or three months after, I didn't even know he shot. And I sold him a, I sold him a Merc van. I bought a load of vans out of out of one of the breweries, and uh, he bought this Merc van of me. And when he came to pick it up, he came with his driver. His driver took the van, and he stayed. We were just chatting away there. And he, uh, this was a Wednesday afternoon. He said, oh, "I said, do you, do you fancy you get coming for a shot, Dave?" I said, "What well, shot at what? Clays." I said, "What's then?" <laughs> Play pigeons. It's a shooting club. I said, "No, I don't know. I've never been. Never heard of it." You see, we see we come from a mining background. We we didn't know what a clay pigeon was. Anything. I mean, farmers would do then in them days, but we never knew. We never knew what a clay pigeon looked at. We never heard of a, a clay pigeon. Anyway, I said, "He said, have you got a gun?" Well, I got an old duck buster under the bed. There, no no license or nothing then. I'm, I'm going back years now, twenty odd years ago, thirty odd years ago. I got an old side by side, an old Spanish gun, and I kept the effort burglars, you see. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I said, yeah. I said, anyway, I fetched this old duck buster out, and I, was, I, was, I went to, uh, it was the first shot I ever had, we were at North of England, uh, um, Target Centre, and they, they used to go every Wednesday and do what they call, well, I know, a DTL now. And I was stood there with this, this old 28-inch side by side, this Spanish thing, and... Uh, we had a pocket full of uh, cartridges we, in, in, a, in a pair of tracky bottoms. My tracky bottom nearly, nearly down to my knees, but I got that much weight of cartridges in pockets. But that's all I had. I had no cartridge bag, no nothing, no vest, no nothing. And I shot an 18 out at 25 with this uh, oak side beside, but it's before it seized up. It wasn't open or closed, and it just seized up altogether. <laughs> it didn't have a shot so many cartridges, you see. Anyway, uh, and I... And when I, I took five people, I beat four of them with this 18. So I said, oh, that's, it's, it's not bad, this. Anyway, the lad, he said, you know, about shot, Dave. And he said, yeah. 
I said, I said, I said, this, this gun's no good. And I said, I bloody broke it. I said, won't open the shot. Oh, I said, you don't want one of them things. He says, you can borrow my miracle. He said, my lad's packed in shooting. He says, if you want to come, I'll fetch his gun for you. The old 3800 miracles. And, uh, and I, I, I used to beat them from day one. As a, you know, we, we a bloody, it was a 32 inch uh, 3800. And I, was, I shot after, after the month of shooting, I shot hundred. Well, he'll tell you. He'll verify because he was he was scoring for. Work. I shot hundred and fifty straight at ball trap after after one month. So I thought, well, I must have a bit of natural ability. Cool. <laughs> Crikey! I shot hundred and fifty straight before I missed one at, at ball trap with this gun. Anyway, I got the book proper then. So then, within two years, you're competing internationally. Hmm. Well, it, it was it was it was twelve months. I got in I got in double A straight away with with Skeet and 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 DTL because I didn't know sporting existed then because I, I sort of never had time. I was still bringing a family up, and still trying to get a living, you know, still running a big uh, a business. So I never had time other than I just met that Wednesday afternoon. But after a year, I can remember being at uh, North of England, and then it, it put a fifty bird sporting on, and and uh, I heard all these names then who were like folk heroes then, you know, Tony Booth, who, were, who, were, who actually won English uh, English Open, Martin Doughty was a very good friend of mine, Tony Booth was a very good friend of mine. And I heard all these these names mentioned, you know, and these were these were like bloody heroes to me then, you know, and these, these lads have been shooting, you know, they've got 15 years on me then. And uh, that was the first sporting that, uh, that I shot, and I shot out of the 50, I think I shot a 34. They said, well, that's brilliant that day for the first time you ever shot it. And that, it was a challenge. And I saw sporting, then later on fitness, as a real challenge, you know. And that's where I always, I always look for that challenge. Mm. And it's obviously, it, that turned over into my game shooting then. Um, I only ever shot a couple of uh, mediocre game shoots and I never went on I never went on any anything like that again I just stuck to decent shoots and, and looking for better and better shoots yeah interesting and so then when, how did the YouTube channel come about then how what was what was the the, the genesis of that um it was a chat that actually was just uh, Jonathan McGee nice lad Jonathan and yeah uh, he, he was a good photographer he still is a good photographer good filmmaker and um, he actually asked me if he could come on a shoot with me and I think the first shoot was I think it was Duncan Park and he said I can't get into any of these shoots to to film they won't let us in and and nobody will let you film then you see you'd get take a few photographs but nobody ever turned up with a with a movie camera and I said I said come with me I said yeah and I turned up at Duncan Park and just started filming from day one and uh, and I I mean, the owner of Duncan Park, uh, well, not the owner, the, 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 the factor that took us out, uh, what are you doing filming? I said, why? What's, what's the matter? You know, I said, it's about time we showed our beautiful countryside and, you know, uh, how much the shooting fraternity puts into it and all the good things they do instead of getting, you know, hauled over the course for all the bad things that uh, they supposedly do. I said, about time to show the good parts of it. And, uh, oh, well, I'm not very keen on that. I said, look, I said, it's cost me two and a half thousand pounds to be here. I said, and, and he's he's going to film me. It's as simple as that. Whether you like it or not, as I pay my money. I said, and that was it. I just brought the gates open. And when I did the film, they actually loved it. 
you know, and, and then I did two or three more, then people started opening the gates, then you see, and then contacting me, you know, and the, and the first great film, of course, uh, uh, were um, Wakefield, uh, fantastic guy, Bert shoot, and then the Let Widdy Garth shoot when, when, when Martin first got the shoot. Uh, he asked me to, 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 to go and film that and uh, I found a bit of form that day. Um, you know, we, we don't we don't eat everything. <laughs> I was going to ask, Dave, because I've, you know, I've been watching your videos for a long time, like Chris, and um, I know it's the editing, but it looks like you don't miss very often. <laughs> well, I put it this way, people say... Uh, you know, a fifty-yard bird. A fifty-yard bird is a good bird. It, it is a good bird, but it's. It, I could kill fifty-yard birds. I would kill ninety out of hundred of those. You know, fifty-yard birds. It, it, it doesn't mean anything to me. But I, 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 I'll, I'll put it like this: a fifty-yard bird. I'll, I'll look to be to be killing between eighty and ninety percent of. Fifty-five to sixty-yard bird. I was looking to kill 50 to 60% of them. Now then, when you go to a 60 to 70-yard bird, I was looking to kill 25% of them. So that puts it in perspective. So how do you... Because obviously if we talk about the average game shot, past 40 yards, and we're talking like a good 5, 6 to 1 for the average game shot, right? Would mm. you say that's fair? It's fair because I mean I see a lot of people. Let's put it. Let's put it in another perspective. When I did when I did the uh, the late wedding gal film, right? Uh, the, the, the the people always uh, the better uh, best to speak to is the loaders, of course, because they they're loading, they're watching all the time. You see, they always like to load, but they always like to watch up my shoulder as well to see see what I'm doing. And uh, I was on on one of the drives on the on the jet run. I was. I was number one gun, right? So I got everything, everything, everybody was a back gun to me, right? And there's some tremendous birds. And I like birds that's, you know, what I call, if they're too thin, I, I won't put gun on them. If I see what I call it, some a bit of fat on them, I'm seeing, a, I'm seeing the best part of the body. Once a, once a pheasant goes, on, goes sideways and looks very narrow and very thin, He's a very hard bird to put shot on because when he goes thin, you've got to get through his wings, then into his body, right? So I always look for a bird that's showing his fat, and I'm looking to I'm looking to to shoot that bird from his beak down to his to his stomach, down to the middle of him, right? But as soon as a, as soon as a pheasant goes edge on, screaming downhill, edge on. He's the most difficult bird that you'll put shot on if you can put shot on him because he, he's got so he's got so many things to get through to get to them vital organs. You're always better off under that belly all the time because you're going to penetrate something that's going to kill him. And I, I'll, I'll pick through birds all the time, and if they look if they look big enough in the sky to me, that is a fair target to me. And he might be fifty yard, he might be seventy yard. But I know I'm going to kill him. I know I've got a chance of killing him. So you're let's let's assume you're shooting a lot better averages at those types of birds than others. I suppose the question I wanted to ask is because because like I have my my on days and my off days like everyone else, but when I'm missing a lot and 
and I I mean pricking is just the worst thing in the world. I'd rather not put the gun up. Um, obviously, you need higher birds to challenge your sort of the sporting nature of a shoot uh, than others. Um, but you can't just show different heights of birds to different guns on the day. So at what point does it come where the birds are good for you, but not for others and others shouldn't be shooting them? How do we control that? And when is high too high? Do You, you must have thought about this. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I, I... And people hear yeah, all kinds of stories, you know, killing birds at 100 yards. And, yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot of good shots in this country who are very, very good game shots. Just as good a game shot as where I am. I mean, I show it on film. And uh, and I've got, a, I've got a fair amount of what I call natural instinct. But I can look at the bird and I think, hmm, I think I can lay a shot on him and kill him. And that's, 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 that's when I make my decision. Right, but looking at other people, so a lot of people haven't got the skill at all. You know, if you know if they're shooting six, if they're shooting sixty out of hundred on on clear pigeons, you know, they're going to be eight and nine, ten to one on on a on a fifty yard pheasant. Because for me, if they're only shooting sixty out of hundred on a clear pigeon, they haven't got the means to judge speed, angle, and the distance. You've got to have you've got to have all them that sort of skill to be able to judge speed speed especially speed and distance. You know, it's got to be in your mind in your mindset that is within that is in that is within range of me. And you can kill a partridge a lot further than you can kill a pheasant. You know, I've killed I shot at Drum Rangry one day. If you watch the Drum Rangry film, the first one I did, and uh, Rab will tell you that. Uh, I was shooting over an edge. I was I, I was backgunning, and I was shooting. There was there were birds. He said you'll not get a lot of birds at first, Davis, but they'll come right at the back of that edge. And we put the um, the what they call it, I think the range finder. It was seventy yard away edge. So when you see a when you see a, uh, a passage well up in the air, thirty or forty yard away, it's quite killable if it's over your head. But when it's thirty or forty yard up. And 70 yard away, it's a fairly small target, hmm. you know, but a partridge is still killable. But I didn't know whether these these partridges were in front of the edge or beyond it. You couldn't tell, if you know what I mean, because they were 30 yard or 40 yard up in the air as well. Anyway, I shot 10 of these, these birds, confirmed kills, out of about 40 shots. But you could only see one on the camera, if you know what I mean. The camera only picked one of the birds up, but we, we but I, I did shoot ten. And when we when we went to pick these birds up, because I, I told her I said leave the leave the birds where they are. I said we just want to see how far they are away. And three of these birds were five or six yards, seven yards beyond the edge, so they were like 70, 70 odd yards away, you know, and all stone dead, killed properly, you know. But I was using. 42 gram threes and fours Crikey. And, and fives. And people say, well, you know, that's another another uh, qualm that they have. Why, you know, why do you want to use a big pellet? But I'm not shooting at stuff what they shoot at. I could shoot 28 gram fives, but I picked my bird I'm going to kill with a 28 gram five, which would be a 30 yard pheasant or a 30 yard partridge. I'm surprised you didn't need a uh, a, a, a a shoulder replacement as well as a knee replacement after. <laughs> no, well, you, well, you, well you, uh, 
Well, we're going back to the, the question of, you know, why do we, you know, why, you know, shots, some shots are capable of doing it because they get geared up for it. You know, yeah. we, we're using, uh, we're using eight, nine pound guns, MK38, so in my case, uh, the new 3800s and, and the new Crown, Browning Crown, fantastic guns. And, but, but they are made for that purpose, for long range shooting, as far as I'm concerned. And let's not go about, let's not call it long-range shooting. Let's call it uh, shooting in your ability instead of calling it long-range shooting. So, so, ju- so just on that point, Dave, I must ask you, because obviously we're going through a period of change at the moment with cartridges. What's, what, what are you going to be using and, 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 and sort of how are you navigating that change and what are your thoughts on it? Well, well, Water Pride is the first estate to go full, full, totally steel this year. So yeah. Paul James of Game Boy, uh, I'm in constant contact with, with, with Paul, of course. Uh, you know, I'm an ambassador for Game Boy and uh, do a lot of, I do a lot of testing for Game Boy. And most of the times, you know, they won't put anything out in the field unless I've tested it and, and George or, or Simon Ward. But, uh, you know, we, 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 we actually put it on, on live quarry before we give it the thumbs up anyway and, uh, and at distance. And um, I've no doubt that, that Game Ball and, and, and the other cartridge companies have got to come up with, uh, with, with, with better products, uh, especially in steel. And uh, I've no doubt, uh, no shadow of a doubt, that Game Ball will have the right material for me uh, this season. They've, they've been at it for three or four years now uh, with steel. They knew this day was coming. So they haven't, they haven't sat on the bloody hands. They've uh, they've got out there. I, I've I've already been I've already been practicing with uh, with stuff. Not in the field at the moment. I did I did try some steel last year, uh, and it wants tweaking up a little bit. Um, but I can tell you, if we can use the same material that we can use in in America, uh, uh, we can use it if we can get the if we're allowed to use the the, the, the same pressures. Uh, that's down to CIP regulations. Then I've no, I've got no problem in shooting steel because it will kill. The, the problem is we're not going to get those CIP regulations changed before we need to transition. So the product that I mean that game board Dark Storm steel cartridge I've used a lot of, and it's really good. And it is on most yeah. on most shoots in the UK you wouldn't even notice. But the problem is on some of the stuff you've just been talking about you will notice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Does that mean we're going to have to change? Do you reckon? Well, I will. I will be shooting on 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 the high stuff, and and I won't shoot it unless I can kill it, and I will not shoot any any cartridge unless I've got confidence that it will it will kill that quarry. But I will be using something like a a, a thirty six gram two or one on on pheasant on the steel and uh, and yeah steel and uh, maybe a thirty two thirty four gram five or four on partridge and a, and a, a 30 32 gram four and five will kill a very and steel will kill a very good partridge because i've already killed some of them and D- dave if you had to bring your sort of maximum range down by 10 yards because of the cartridge would you feel that that is a a, a loss to you assuming that because you know in many regards the challenge is the same right it's just you know yeah. operating at the outer limit of what the cartridges can do um 
So would you feel that that's a loss or would you be perfectly happy just, you know, going, okay, well, the furthest one away I can shoot is now 60 yards rather than 70? I'm, I'm perfectly happy to, to shoot within my limitations and the cartridge limitations. And it's like um, when I did my first 410 film. It's like for like, you know, you've got to you think, well, I criticised 410 uh, uh, shooting. I thought, well, why are they using 410 uh, cartridges, 410 guns on live quarry? You know, they're not appropriate. And I think the worst thing ever to uh, to learn a kid on anyway, um, that a, a 410 for me is an expert, an expert shot gun, really, you know, mm. uh, who can really shoot. And uh, when I first tried uh, 410, um, I got some old cartridges and they didn't look very good on pattern plate. But then when I looked at the the home loading scenario, uh, a lot of the lads that use them load their own cartridges or they, they have a specific factory load that they, they favour. And when I started to get, um, get more into it, I went and researched it and then went and did a film. But I went with a 410 uh, team who, uh, who advised me what to use, and and I went uh, absolutely to kill something, and uh, you know, and not to cripple something. Yeah, I I wouldn't I wouldn't go thinking that you know I don't want you know to to wound anything. I want to kill it. I want, it's, it's it's only right you know to give it the the, the coup de grace while it, you know it's flying. You mentioned kids there, um, and it was something that I wanted to ask you about. Is your film recently very well titled, I thought, Kids on Pegs. Can you tell us a bit about how that all came about and, and what your plans are with it? Kids on Pegs, really, I'm surprised you didn't take this up anyway, bloody guns on pegs. On, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's something we can talk about later, really. But, uh, yeah, it, it's just a shame that uh, we don't see many youngsters coming into shooting now. And it's just the same in game shooting as it is in clay shooting. Obviously, uh, I know there's a uh, there's a money aspect to it, but there's nobody encouraging kids today to 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 look at the the outdoors and to get involved with the countryside. We've gone drastically wrong thirty or forty years ago when, uh, when our governing bodies, for me, have let us down very very poorly because they should have. They should have maintained a, maintained a presence, chose at what cost in the local schools? Well, every school, really. They should have made sure that, uh, that the countryside pastimes had some sort of representation over the last 40 years. And we've, we, when we were kids, we and, and probably you and you were a kid as well, you know, as soon as you come home from school, you were out playing, you know, bird nesting, you know, with a catapult making a bow and arrow or something like that. We used to chase one another out, bloody things with bow and arrows trying to kill one another, you know, catapult. Well, actually, there were millions of starlings then, you know, without trying to kill a starling. Or we'd sit there on, on sand banks with, with bloody catapult trying to, trying to kill a house, a, a sand martin or something. You know, we, we're always up to up to mischief, but learning about the countryside, as, as you were, if you were out in the countryside all day, by the time you got to 12 or 13 year old, you were a young countryman. You knew, you knew every bird song, you know, every bird where it nested, every, every, every bird's egg, you know, at that time, everybody, most of us collected eggs and one thing or other. All that's gone. Obviously, times have changed a lot 
and you know the situation has changed and eating habits have changed and all sorts of stuff uh and i, I don't know about the organizations not doing enough uh in in that sense i i think that they do do quite a lot to get to get young people in shooting i mean basque have had it as a major you know pillar of what they do for forever it seems but i just think that their job is becoming harder because of the way the world is they've let it become harder that's the problem it, it, it going back it's all respectfully now because we've got to go back 30 or 40 years ago when the rock set in when i was a kid you know in my teens you could still see people walking up and down the street with with a gun over the shoulder you know saturday mornings going shooting out of the bag altogether you know i mean if god forbid anybody did that today walked up the high street with a, with a gun <laughs> over the shoulder going to show them obviously they never the feet had never touched the floor you all know that but it's, it's what's acceptable now. And there's a lot of things that's not acceptable. And shooting's becoming not acceptable because we've never we've never kept it going in the schools, you know. We've never sort of learnt kids that it's part of the countryside. Yeah, you've no need to go into a school and talk about shooting. Talk about everything else, you know. You're going out with a ferret and like we used to when we were kids. You know, going, taking a ferry down, ferry to everybody had a ferry when we were a kid. You know, going out air coursing and stuff like that, or bird nesting. You've not, you've not to talk about about killing things. That comes later on. You've got to learn them about the countryside, and then that becomes acceptable. What goes off in the countryside? I do think that this is an interesting period of change we're going through because at the at the moment there's a there's a lot of ridiculous situations which I have a feeling might not be quite the way they are in a few years time and I, I i do think that the the bit we have absolutely have to focus on is eating what we shoot and making sure we've got a market for the game and stuff like that exactly uh, yeah. because because i think I, I mean i taught you know when you when you, you strike up a conversation with a vegan and you you often find with a lot of vegans i find that they are accepting of eating what you shoot and they 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 don't want to eat meat and they don't necessarily want other people to eat farm chicken and all that sort of stuff but if you want to go out and shoot a deer shoot pheasant shoot pigeon whatever then you know crack on and i i think this is where the opportunity comes so i know what you're saying and i you sound very downbeat about it but i do think there's a massive amount of opportunity in here i'm not downbeat about it i'm downbeat about the opportunities that we've missed over the years because i'm going to say another thing now game shooting especially has got a very, very fantastic future. Because of what we do and, when you, and what yourself do uh, in promoting it, right, and especially in films, there's more and more people around the world getting more and more interested in, in coming over to experience what we experience as normal. For sure. Normal they want to come and do it. Yeah. You know, the, and the, the, the one thing that will save shooting and there's two sides to every story because they do get kicked in the nuts with the with the little shoots. Will say, "Well, we can't," you know, the little the, the little man who only shoots eighty eighty bird days. We can't afford to go on these shoots no more because all these foreigners are coming over and buying out shooting up. You know, we can't compete with them. What you're doing is is wrong and this and other. But I think by promoting it overseas is for me it'll be the saving of a shooting because one thing that this government won't do, they won't turn revenue down. The yeah, Exchequer yeah. won't turn revenue down. Yeah. And the more, and shooting, 
when you look at shooting, game shooting especially, clay shooting you do it anywhere. But we've got the we've got the most fantastic game shooting arena in the world, and everybody wants to come over. Uh, obviously, they are people with money. That's even better. They all want to come over and spend money over here, experience what we've experienced, and I think that's fantastic. The more people we get interested from abroad, we are then a great export. Yeah. Well, you don't you don't close export avenues down. This is absolutely perfect. Um, shooting in this country is for many people who look in from the outside who watch your youtube channel and we have a lot of listeners in the states and various other places as well um they dream of coming here absolutely dream of it so the way we like to round all of our episodes off dave as you know is to ask our guests to describe their dream shooting weekend their last ever shooting trip well, just before we go on to that, let me just say one thing when we're going back to what I shoot, right? What I, what I don't want to do, I don't want to encourage people to shoot birds that's out of range, right? There is guns out there that are quite capable of shooting very, very good birds, right? It's a small percentage of the shooting world, but they are capable of doing that. They get tooled up for it. I don't want to encourage people to... I, I shoot... And when people get on about shooting 100 yards, that's total fallacy. The, with, with a camera, a camera can make things look, you know, even even, even uh, further and further away. But I sh- at most, at the very most, I will shoot 65 to 70 yards, right? But I'm looking for that bird between 50 to 60 yards. That's, that's, that's what I call a, killable, a very exciting and killable bird for me. Right. Now, a bird at 40 to 50 yards is a very exciting and killable bird for an average shot. And it's, it's, it's a bathroom bird. Right. So for me, I like to tell everybody to stick within the means and their abilities. And that's what I like to finish on. Uh, that's that's a concerned. very good that, message. Yeah, it's a good message. I, I, and I agree entirely, having seen it all go wrong far too many times. So, so with that in mind, then. You, you get to pick a weekend for your desert island shooting, a weekend of 60-yard pheasants. <laughs> uh, I, I, I suppose the first question is, are you going to take anyone else with you? Are you just going to stand in the middle and the best shoots you go to? I mean, tell us, Dave, what's what's it going to look like? What's this desert island shooting trip going to look like? Well, the the the, 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 the my desert island shoot would look like this. It would be my four favourite drivers in the world. Go on. Which would be... Angel, angels at Water Priory. Nice. The oak, the oaks at Brigands. Yeah. And the crag at Whitfield. Yeah. And Springwood at Arden Hornby. Okay. These are all fan, fantastic high bird drives. Yeah. But all drives with birds for everybody as well. There's in these drives can be forty yard to seventy five yard birds. So there's so I can take a mixed team with me, and my my team would be to do, and my ideal dream would be to do all them four favourite drives in one day with the following guns: <laughs> Fra- Frank Croft, the water priority keeper, because he's, he's such a funny lad, is Frank. <laughs> you know, he's such a really good company on a day. 
my daughter Rachel and yeah. my son Stephen, who's, who's only been shot in two or three years, but he loves it. Yeah. And, and very good friends like Stuart Parkin, who you've seen in the films, who likes to take piss out of me. <laughs> you know, he's a great, great shooting companion, Stuart. Makes every day. Neil Ramsey, you never know he's here, Neil, but he's a lovely fella. Anthony Whitaker, another scrap friend of mine. Uh, it's one bird out of, uh, you know, if he shoots a hundred bird, he manages to pull one down, but it's always a skyscraper. <laughs> and then never knows, never knows how he's done it, but just... We've all got a friend like that. <laughs> Hi. He's the ideal invite, uh, Chris, because he doesn't eat anything. He puts nothing in the bag. And then you just hear him scream once and he's, he's killed one 70 yards. Yeah, don't know how, clue how he's done I'm picturing many occasions. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, obviously, ABC, Alan Carter, who you've seen on the films, who was a very, very funny lad and, and still a decent shot, is, is Alan. Kev Joblin, of course, who's, uh, who has Jervo, Jervo shoot. Because I like Kev because he's, 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 always, he's always sat on the fence. And he never falls either side of it. You <laughs> <laughs> can never get a straight answer off him as far as shooting comes around. Another lad who's a very funny lad, and I love his company, he's, uh, he's desperate. Uh, uh, Alan Ditchburn, of course, a.k.a. Alan Ditchburn. And that would be uh, a really good team to finish your days on and uh, a, really good, a really good day out. And if, it, what, if I couldn't have that, I'd be quite happy to have that same company on a lovely simulated game day at one of the biggest states like Viva or, or Water Priory and just have a fun day and that'd, that, that'd just be as good without having to kill anything. I, I love where you've gone with that, Dave, because and there's many similarities between the desert island shootings that come up from our guests, but you've absolutely nailed it at the end there, which is that you're there with your mates. And actually, quite frankly, obviously, if you can do those four drives, that would be amazing, of course. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter that much. The, the greater part was being out with your mates on a day, having a laugh, and the rest of it kind of is just neither here nor there. Uh, and mm. and that is what is so great about shooting. It offers us those opportunities. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I love the way you rounded that off. Here, here. We don't forget, lads, we got we have got a fantastic British Isles, which is from the most fantastic countryside. And uh, if you see my last film that was, that was done in the Lake District, um, it's we have got some wonderful countryside, all tended, all tended very carefully by gamekeepers, shoe managers and, and estate managers and and obviously attended by guns who who love to be there on the day. And it's it's the most therapeutic thing of all is to be out on a whether you shoot anything, but what's more therapeutic be inside of a, a babbling brook in Scotland, one of them little burns and waiting for some nice prices coming over, whether you hit one or not. I couldn't agree more, Dave. Well it's been Fantastic having you on the podcast, Dave. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been, it's been, it's been great to be on. Yeah, cheers, Dave. Thank you very much. Catch you later. Right, so before we go, there is one final reminder, as usual, that you can get your hands on a pair of the highly desirable Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters by sending us your shooting dilemmas for us to resolve or by getting in touch to let us know where you've been listening or by sending us your unpopular opinions. Just send us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com and if we use it in the next episode or any future episodes, uh, we will send you some garters. We will be back 
uh, very soon, date unspecified, with Series 5 of the podcast. Uh, do send us your suggestions for what we should do for our 50th episode. Until then, thanks very much for listening and goodbye. <laughs>